Keeping sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other congressional leaders are expected to meet with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and the White House Chief of Staff on a resolution designed to prevent the debt limit from busting and reaching a broader budget deal. The two politically dicey issues may not ultimately be linked, but both are considered by top Democrats and Republicans to be high on the to-do list. If you want to fight this guy, you have to know how to take him on. He's a bully. I understand him. I've watched him for decades. You can confront a bully. Don't let him get away with what he's doing. I think it takes someone tough to take on Donald Trump. I'm ready to go toe-to-toe. Politics is a crazy world, but when you have the best employment numbers in history, When you have the best unemployment numbers in history, when you have the best economy probably that we've ever had, I don't know, how do you lose this election, right? And now, Stacey Washington. Oh yeah. Hey there, welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show. So glad to be with you, live and direct to you from St. Louis, Missouri, suburbs. (laughs) And we're just killing it over here. Um, Little update, little little housekeeping update. I've crossed over to the other side yet again. Our son has graduated from high school. And yesterday was his graduation, or at least last evening. And we just, we had a fantastic time with our family. And just, it was so wonderful. God really blessed us with the commencement ceremony was wonderful. The, the, People, even the people we were seated around in the actual graduation ceremony, it, it was just a blessing. And I had family travel in and they spent time with us over the weekend. And I tried like the Dickens to show them uh, a little bit of St. Louis type fun. And we just had stuff closed on Monday. That was it was kind of crazy. It was like we're in a European country where they have Monday off because they worked on Saturday and Sunday. It was so, so silly, so silly. So uh, our son was just... He, he's such a joy anyway, all the time. He was such a fun part of this weekend, just celebrating him and celebrating his accomplishments and looking forward to what God is going to do in his life. So welcome to the program. Thanks for making your home here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Stacey Washington, host of the program here. Um, we are going to have really a wonderful show for you today. We're going to start off with, we're going to get into the encouragement here in just a minute. I'm going to explain President Trump's immigration plan. I got a little bit of feedback last week about having a guest on and talking about the immigration plan and talking about how great it was, but not really going into any detail. So I'm going to share that with you. And then we are also going to talk about the House Democrats accusing Dr. Ben Carson, who's the head of HUD, accusing him of throwing children on the street with a new immigration rule, which again, this is all about your tax dollars and protecting them, which by the way, also brings me to um, <laughs> our, uh, we, we are also going to discuss this Harvard-Harris poll of most Americans wildly underestimating the number of illegal aliens entering the United States. Cinder Rand Paul has something called the Penny Plan. We're going to talk about that. The Penny Plan is his way of basically, he's he takes what the piece of the budget that is represented by a penny, if you take all of the pieces of the federal budget and each piece is a penny, he says we can take 1% of each individual program, just 1%, reduce by 1%, and we could actually balance the budget in five years and stop borrowing a trillion dollars a year. Because uh, we take in about four trillion, and we or we take in about three trillion, spend about four trillion, so that's a one trillion dollar deficit every year. And he's this simple, 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 simple plan of of uh, getting rid of it. And I actually thought to myself when I was watching the uh, video clip of this that we're going to listen to the audio of here in the program today, it occurred to me that if you can balance a federal budget with a one trillion dollar deficit in five years by reducing 1% of your costs in each individual budget area, could you not apply that same plan to your own household budget? Which is obviously it'd be easier, the numbers are on a scale that are easier to understand because it's your household budget. So you're dealing in tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can look at it that way. I, I think it's worth exploring, especially if you're in a place where you have a goal and it feels out of reach and you feel like you can't get there monetarily maybe reducing expenses in certain areas of your household budget could help you get there faster. So that's uh, an interesting take. We'll we'll dig into that as well. Call lines are open. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. 
So right now I want to get into, oh, and, and of course, Kamala Harris. She has some, some garbage that she's been spewing as well. Today's show is titled Forget Game of Thrones, American, American Culture is Dying. So every show, every radio program, if you, if you tried to get away from Game of Thrones this weekend, you couldn't. Because if it wasn't the television barking at you, if you cut your TV off, you cut your radio off, which I actually did that this weekend. It was fantastic. If you did that, then it was the people, literally people coming up to you and talking about Game of Thrones. And I thought to myself, you know, if this was like redeeming conversation, like if this show was something that spurred on anything of a redemptive nature, anything, even, even if it had a value of entertainment that was decent, I could see getting this into it. But remember, I'm, I'm one of the Game of Thrones dropouts after the Red Wedding. We were done. Me and my husband were watching it. We were finished and we've never gone back. It, it's honestly, it was that, that grotesque. For people who are watching it, you know, you, you have to make your own choices. You're responsible for your own choices and your own decisions. But I just feel like it's being forced on us. It's like people are like, if you're not enjoying it, we're going to make you listen to us talk about how we're enjoying it or not enjoying it because apparently the season or series finale was just p- what people didn't want. Contrast that with how many people have come up to you over the weekend or in the past seven days and said, you know, I'm really concerned. Can we pray about this area of the culture? K through 12 public schools, universities, fascism, uh, online censorship, out of wedlock births, poverty, um, despair, suicide, opioid epidemic, foreign debt, the spread of abortion by America through, you know, uh, USAID in anything. How many people have approached you about that and compare it to how many people are talking to you, talking your ear off, forcing you to be a part of this whole Game of Thrones experience? I had a lot more to say about that. I'm not going to get off into it at this very moment. I want to get to the encouragement. Today's verse uh, for the encouragement is Galatians 6, 7 through 10. And I often hear people refer to this verse. What they'll do is they'll start at number nine and they'll say, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I love that verse. That's fantastic. But I like to go back to verse seven, where he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Some versions say God is not mocked. This one says God cannot be mocked. This is a new international version. So in other words, there's no way you're pulling the wool over God's eyes. There's no way you're deceiving him. You may, you may yourself be deceived, but he is not, he is not mocked. He cannot be mocked. And by mocked, we're talking about this idea that we can deceive someone or make them think one thing while we're doing another thing. Any, any of that duplicity, it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And so my encouragement for you today is don't give up. Don't give up and you must actually commit yourself to persisting and doing what is right and good. So we start out, obviously, when you're a new Christian, you're just like, you are on fire and you want to do everything and anything you can to spread the gospel, share with other people what you've experienced and grow. But then, you know, over time, the enthusiasm mellows and we become convinced that perhaps, you know, um, it's, it's not going to be as easy or as fun as we thought. And the enemy comes in, he's trying to steal what you have. He's trying to steal what God has given to you. Sometimes it's because of a discouragement or a prayer that we don't feel has been answered in the way that we would hope that it would. And as a young Christian, we don't yet fully comprehend that a no from God really means no, not that, because I have something better for you, something that is, it's wholly and completely more perfect for you than that. Um, And so then from there, the enthusiasm it might be mellowed, but it might actually get to a place where you become a bit stagnant and you can't, you can't move on. Um, 
it gets a little bit like, you know, a bit of a drudgery to go to church and you start to notice the things about church that you don't love. You know, maybe the music isn't your favorite or maybe, maybe, you know, you don't like the fill-in pastor, whatever. At that point, that is when the enemy is, is most ripe to come in and convince you that maybe this whole Christian thing just isn't what it was sold to you, isn't what it was cracked up to be. Maybe you should just go back to, you know, before, you know, can't be real. You're not getting the things that you've prayed for, but we have to keep on doing what is right and good, gathering together with the saints, studying our Bible, participating in Bible study, telling other people about what, what we know to be true, that the salvation that we receive from Jesus Christ and life with the father is worth every minute. And that he is continually working all things out for our good, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so on. So why do we have to, uh, to, to keep doing what is right and good? Well, first of all, God can't be fooled. He knows what's going on. He knows that we're struggling with, you know, the, the, the continuation, the, the walking forward in faith, the sanctification. He knows when we're sorrowful or, or feeling low because we didn't get that prayer answer that we thought. And he's, he's working out for our good, but faith means we have to know that and not become discouraged when we don't have our prayers answered. It, it's not that you're saying, I see that no, but you know, I'm going to raise you a yes and I'm, I'm not giving up on that. It's that you know that you're praying something that isn't God's will for you. You're not seeing it just yet, but that you will see it, that you have to keep on holding on to that. So you can't say to yourself, well, I don't really feel it. And I, I've, I've heard it before. I even, and I do believe it. You know, you act like it is so until it is so, you know, if it isn't so right now, you just act like it is. So you have to basically, it's put in one foot in front of the other, but God knows our feelings. He knows when we're walking it out and we're, we're working our hardest at it. And he knows when we're phoning it in. He knows when we're, you know, I, I just, I'm sick. I'm not going to church today or I can't, I don't, I don't have time to look up for a Bible study. I have too many, you know, I, I have four years of Game of Thrones to watch. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, that he knows that it's not like he doesn't see that. He's not aware that that's going on. Um, maybe saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but not only do you curse like, you know, a sailor, but you also post it on social media. So other people see you with your little, uh, fish sticker or your, you know, pro-life thing. Then, and it's, you know, you're claiming Christianity, but then every other post is full of profanity or, you know, risque photos or what have you. Saying that Jesus Christ is Lord and saying that you belong to him, but not doing what he says, that's the part of God is not mocked. He cannot be mocked. That's, that's what that verse is referring to. So you can get fooled. You can make a fool of yourself. You can convince yourself that you're a faithful Christian when you're not. Um, and the scripture for that, James 1.26 says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So you can deceive yourself, but you can't deceive God. So yes, we know that God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows everything that's going on. He knows everything that's going to happen. He remembers everything that has happened. He transcends time. He is in all. He is all. He created all. We know that. But in our earthly existence, we tend to wall him off and, you know, we're like, well, he knows about this, but he doesn't know about that. Or I'll deal with this, you know, whenever, because I can't deal with this right now. God knows about all of it. And God is rewarding every bit of it. That's why the, the Bible verse that says your work is not wasted is such a comfort. If you're working super hard and you don't feel like your boss sees it or your spouse or your children or whoever, God sees it and he rewards diligent work. He rewards it. And sometimes it's right then. Sometimes it's later. Sometimes it's an explosion. Sometimes it's a, it's a you know, just a, a low river of provision, whatever it is, you have to know that God is rewarding you for that. And he will reward you for your hard work. And that's what is, can spur us on to have faith, to keep working. So you do reap what you sow. The example, one of my favorites, because my grandparents on my mom's side were farmers and they had a farm with a lot of acres and they had animals and everything. And one of my favorite things about that analogy is when you plant corn, you get corn back. You don't plant corn and get tomatoes. So when you pursue sinful things, you get the fruit of sin, which is death. And when you pursue love and compassion, you receive love and compassion. So don't give up. Do not become weary in doing well. You will reap keep going.
Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I have a very generous friend who has a particular burden for pastors and Christian workers who are discouraged and who are going through tough times. He and his wife have an area in their home where they invite people who are going through deep waters to retreat and be refreshed. When we're going through difficult times, we all need seasons of refreshment and renewal. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 27-29 through 29 is a powerful illustration of this principle. David and his men were running away from Jerusalem. He was running from his own son. Can you imagine the emotional stress and pressure David must have been under? Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 27. Now when David had come to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash, Makir, the son of Amiel, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, brought beds, basins, pottery, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curd, sheep, and cheese of the herd for David and for the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. What a blessing to these fellows. What a blessing to David. We can learn some things from this. One, there are people who love you and want to care for you, so let them. Number two, stop and take a breather. Don't just keep putting the pedal to the metal. Pull over and take a breather. Then number three, face your difficulties with replenished supplies and not running on adrenaline and emotional fumes. Here's what I want you to remember today. You are loved and people care about you. Let them know what you're going through and, and then allow them to minister to you. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hello, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, congratulations to all of the 2019 graduates, whether it's college, university, technical school. Um, if you happen to be graduating this year from your Air Force training, <laughs> <laughs> uh, from tech school or from boot camp um, or for any of the armed services. You know, I'm partial to the Air Force, but for many of the armed services and, and also especially to those who are graduating from high school this year, may God's blessings be upon you and chase you down and overtake you as you go on to your next endeavor, whether it's technical school or work or training or, uh, you know, a year off. I know that that's that's a thing. Uh, or if you're going to college, God bless you. I'm I'm excited for you, and I I know God has wonderful things in store for you. And so it's my pleasure to welcome frequent guest of the program, Scott Whitlock. He's the associate editor for the Media Research Center's Newsbusters.org site, and uh, he was a contributor, contributing editor, and senior news analyst for Media Research Center. He's been published in the Washington Times, National Review, and other major news outlets. Scott, thank you for joining us again today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, so let's uh, let's talk about this. What is going on with this survey um, about Americans and immigration? And I'm I'm actually I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Scott. I'm I'm discouraged because most Americans should know by now. With the president making this a signature issue and him talking about it constantly, and all the lawsuits and cases across the circuit appellate courts and all that, it seems like most Americans would be aware that we have a problem. Well, you would think, but this is really 
where the the impact of media bias, liberal media bias, uh, shows you know rears its ugly head because it was actually a Harvard Harris uh, poll, and they found out that Americans dramatically underestimate the the amount of illegal aliens coming in and the amount of illegal aliens being apprehended at the border, which is now and it has been for uh, month after month over a hundred thousand apprehension. And so what we did was we actually went back and looked over the last uh, six months, well, going back to January 1st, to see if the media has been covering that fact and covering the fact that we're over 100,000 apprehensions a month, and it, they haven't. It was only 9% of the coverage uh, in that entire uh, January to May span. So it, it shows that Americans don't fully know how bad it is, and I think it actually gets to another point in the conclusion of that Harvard-Harris poll where they found out when, when they told Americans just how many uh, illegals were coming and the, the apprehensions, the support for uh, building the wall and uh, Donald Trump's emergency declaration jumped dramatically. So in the poll that you're talking about for the listeners, uh, if you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Scott Whitlock, associate editor over at Newsbusters, which is a part of Media Research Center. We always love when you guys come on and update us and give us the the hard, cold, ugly truths, which this this to me, when I saw this email, I immediately reached out to get you on because I just I'm kind of flabbergasted. I talk about immigration a lot on the show. The president, I feel like he's talked about it a lot. Uh, This is a Harvard Harris poll shows a, a drastic underestimation about the number of illegal aliens who are entering the United States on a month-by-month basis. Um, specifically, this poll found that 87% of respondents guessed that the number of border apprehensions was much lower, 52% estimating that it was less than 100,000 per year. And we're talking about 100,000 per month. So I know why the news media would suppress it. I know why MSNBC, CNN, et cetera, would suppress this information. But why don't we have the president going on like a national media address to share this information? I mean, maybe maybe someone at your place should send over this, like send this over to him so he knows that, look, nobody knows what you're talking about. Because in order to get the kind of support that he needs to pass legislation or enact legislation that would stop this, you need to have Americans unified in opposing it. Well, again, I think, yeah, this is the major problem with the liberal media. And I think this uh, encompasses so many other parts of the Trump presidency. For instance, uh, they always complain about why he uses Twitter so much. And I, I think obviously the reason is to, to go over the liberal media's head and talk directly to the American people in a way that he might not get otherwise, uh, or that the media is, you know, the, uh, talk about things that the media, that they aren't going to, to cover. And so He's certainly doing this because um, he's certainly mentioning uh, the problem because he will constantly um, cite the statistic that we are at a 11-year high uh, for border crossings. He's making that point, but you have to get it through the filter of the mainstream media. And you have a lot of Americans who don't necessarily pay attention or they get their news uh, through The Daily Show or the uh, some of the late night liberal comedy shows, and obviously they're not going to—they're not going to give you the facts. So you can have people who, even people who supported Trump in the 2016 election, but they're not paying attention to the day-to-day things, who aren't going to know this stuff. So this is this is the real-world impact of the liberal media, and they have made a difference. They have made a difference for Democrats for decades. So. The, the network journalists, according to your reporting, frequently downplay these numbers by comparing them to the record high rates back in 2000 and conclude that illegal immigration has decreased, even though the current rate is the highest in 11 years. So clearly it's it's a problem. And I, I also saw, Scott, that news story, I believe it was Friday of last week, maybe or some late last week. You've got the governor of Florida, who is a Republican um, and other leaders in you know, the state state apparatus and, and leaders of cities like Palm Beach and et cetera, saying that they were very upset with President Trump for planning to ship illegal aliens there. But how, how I, and so they, they scrapped that plan and they're going to send them elsewhere. But how is it that we don't have the president saying, look, I don't have a choice. I have to put them somewhere. All of the border towns are full. I'm sending them to you. And then sending a press release to these local news outlets and saying, look, 
you know, you're about to get 5,000 new illegal aliens or you're about to get so many hundreds of them. You need to know where they're, why they're coming and why they're showing up. I believe the local news outlets, as liberal as they are, when it comes to actual local politics and local news, they tend to be much more moderate when it comes to things happening in their neighborhoods and their schools and their towns and their cities where their broadcast goes to. There, There is a solution to this. I know it doesn't go through Congress, but in in taking in this information that you're reporting, I see some opportunities for the president to make a dent in this problem and to actually get through to some of the people who don't know the truth. I, I think you're you're certainly right that a lot of the, the local news can certainly be much more reliable, certainly much more relevant uh, to the people that they're dealing with in the ways that uh, MSNBC, CNN, and the networks aren't. And I think that it's just a matter of, of getting through to people. Uh, and, and certainly, I think that uh, the, the president is trying. We, we saw that um, that he actually got through on media bias in the 2016 election. The question is, how do you, you keep doing it at, when you have all these different media outlets um, kind of in an onslaught against you? And then I think, furthermore, you have them contradicting themselves routinely, where one of the, the studies we did was during the, the, the lead-up to the midterms, they kept telling us that the border uh, wasn't a crisis, that it was a manufactured crisis. And then we have in the in the spring of this year, they started using the crisis term. They essentially admitted that uh, the president was more or less uh, right about this, but they want to argue about statistics from you know 2000 versus the last 11 years, and rather than uh, get to the kind of the nitty gritty of what's actually happening at the border. So, yeah, I think I, mean, that, I think that is a reasonable point about local media because they certainly, um, in, in my experience, will cover kind of things more on the ground than the, the, um, the mainstream media. But, uh, you know, going around the media as he's trying to do, as he did successfully in 2016, is going to be key to, to getting this, done, this stuff done, to alerting people to what's going on. And, Obviously, if he wants to continue to get his agenda forward going through, going forward to the next year. I think the things that you're outlining here, are ver- they're valuable. Um, and really, it, it, this is a conversation that has to be had, not just here on American Family Association, American Family Radio, Urban Family Talk. And I know you guys do a lot of, of radio and media on the conservative side, and you guys reach out, and you're, you're anywhere you can you know, your message can be heard. I know you guys do that at Newsbusters and Media Research Center. But I almost feel like there's a missing piece of this puzzle. And that is that, as you noted, and Scott, you and I, I think we've discussed this before, this amazing ability that the president has to reach voters through the rallies. He'll go to, you know, Pennsylvania and he'll say things and the media doesn't want to report on it, but they have to because he said this stuff. And, you know, if he even adds in the slightest little joke, they have to cover that. And then the attending comment gets covered as well. These numbers have to be shared any place they can get shared. And I almost feel like it's like our duty, like yours and mine and anybody who's listening to leave a message for their congressperson to speak to. Um, the next time their their person's back in the district, whether it's your senator or your congressman, tell them Americans don't know these numbers. It's time for you to start talking about them, too. I think the GOP should engage in an, an, a messaging effort where they're talking about these numbers, not just on the echo chamber on Fox. Huge audience. Lots of regular people watch it besides conservatives. But I'm talking about those people who are outside of that bubble. They don't watch Fox. They don't have cable. Um, and they they don't know this is going on. Well, yeah, I think um, one way certainly to do that is social media, which gets back to one of the other issues we've been covering is uh, social media censorship and attempts by Twitter and Facebook to uh, censor conservatives. And we've been fighting that because uh, that is the way that a lot of people are getting their news now. They're seeing things in their Facebook feeds, and and we're very active uh, over uh, on Facebook and Twitter and all these uh, other outlets. And so, you know, if Americans aren't... Uh, less and less Americans are watching the mainstream media, uh, then we have to get their news to them and facts to them through different outlets. And, you know, be that social media or, as you said, local news, uh, you know, that that's really the way you have to do it. And I think just to follow up real quick about your point about the president visiting areas, that definitely has an impact because you're right, it is reported in, in local news. And we saw the impact 
of the fact that Hillary Clinton didn't go to places like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. And we saw what happened there because just being there, being out there on the ground, you get a lot more um, coverage from uh, local media, which can be certainly be liberal and biased too, but they're covering things that are happening in and around the places that the people who watch their shows live. And so therefore you get more attention than you, than you would otherwise by the, the mainstream national media. Yeah. Um, and that, that, okay, that brings me to another question I'm, I'm dying to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So Scott, let's, let's, okay. I'm just going to ask you. So Scott, how, because there's like a million candidates for the, on the D side. And I personally, I think they're actually, they're doing that because they want to replicate the same results they had with that the Republicans had. The Republicans had a huge field. It was so big. The Democrats spent lots of time mocking it on their media outlets, you know. Um, But then in the end, what happened was President Trump rose to the top by vanquishing all of those candidates, even the, you know, it's your turn favorite Jeb Bush. And that gave him more credibility with people on the right side of of, uh, the political aisle. They were like, hey, he won this thing. You know, he did this thing. Do you think the Democrats are trying to make that happen on their side by having all, so many people like de Blasio just announced? Who cares? But he's he's in. Well, I, I think um, I think on an individual uh, level, a lot of these Democratic presidential candidates have convinced themselves that if they can just get the nomination, they're de facto going to become president because they think that Trump is is definitely going to lose. And I think that's kind of a. Uh, misreading, we've seen again and again, nationally and internationally, how many times uh, the polls have been wrong. But I think that they have bought into that. So you have so many people who kind of look and look uh, themselves in a mirror and they see the next president. So uh, that's where I think on an individual level that uh, this is coming from. On a sort of a more corporate level, uh, yeah, I think the, these Democrats uh, think that they can just kind of winnow it down and that uh, you get it to a certainly on, on the when you have like that kind of corporate establishment DNC types, they think that a Joe Biden uh, is the person who can win. And you know, I'm not so sure about that because Biden has said gaffe after gaffe after gaffe, and conservatives and Republicans are certainly going to point that out, point out his his all the issues and all the problems he has. And I, I don't think he's exactly going to have a free, easy ride once he gets the nomination. So the liberals and the media are going to try and help him. But do you, are you saying that you, because <laughs> with Biden, as gaff prone as he is, I've seen the Democrats do this before. They did it. They've been doing it since Bill Clinton. They'll say, oh yeah, he said that, but he's, he's the best one to beat your guy or yeah, he said that, but he's not a racist. Or yeah, he 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 sniffed those women. He he, but he's not as bad as your guy. He said he you know he could grab women. I mean, the justification and nullification of the wrongdoings. Uh, it seems like it's just rampant. Like it it doesn't matter that he said these things. That he actually pulled out of a presidential race because of our accusations of plagiarism and on and on. I mean, he's got a history full. He's like a basket of yummy campaign ads just waiting to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, no. I, I think they're absolutely going to try that. But uh, they, they all they did try that in 2004, where where they they thought John Kerry was well. He's the he's a uh, veteran, and he's going to be he's the best of the bunch, and he's going to defeat George W. Bush, and that didn't really work out. Now, I'm not saying that Trump's going to be reelected, but I think that that is the move of the establishment uh, part of the party to kind of rally around uh, Joe Biden, and they're certainly going to make it try and make it seem like his gaffes either don't matter uh, or just ignore them. But we really are we're living in uh, a new era, new era as far as social media, as far as how and where people are getting their news. And just, uh, you know, the Internet, uh, talk radio, Fox News, uh, the president himself. And I think that all these problems that Biden has, I don't think they're going to go away. And I don't think they're going to be able to, the Democrats are going to really sweep them under the rug just because the liberal media wants them to. We, we, don't, we just don't live in that era anymore mm. where it's Walter Cronkite telling us that's the way it is. Fantastic. Well, I hope you're right. I think you could be right. You guys are right a lot. Thank you so much, Scott Whitlock of newsbusters.org for joining us today. All right, we'll be back with more after this.
This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. It's amazing how God brings people into your life at just the right time. When Tony was considering a studio analyst job with NBC Sports, he and I did what we always do when there's a big decision. We prayed about it. That year, Tony agreed to do the Super Bowl broadcast with NBC as an addition. He was hooked. You know, I received a lot of instruction and encouragement from Sam Flood at NBC. Sam is one of the top producers in sports television, but he's also very much a family man. As God had done many times before, he put someone in my life who helped me grow. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. I would go to work drunk, and then it came to where I lost my housing. Being here at Team Challenge taught me that I needed to have a relationship with God. I've done so much changing, and I am just so blessed. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult to Teen Challenge can help. There are centers across the country, and you can find the one nearest you at 855-END-ADDICTION or at TeenChallengeUSA.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Our country is suffering because of lack of leadership, division, and a disdain for godliness. Urban Family Talk exists to be a prophetic voice as we speak on matters of religion, family, and culture. We will not be silent on issues plaguing our communities today as we sound the alarm of truth, wisdom, and empowerment. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Poll Paris with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blandon. We have fresh 2020 numbers for you. First, Joe Biden is leaving everybody in the dust. Our Fox News poll finds he leads the race for the Democratic nomination with 35%. Bernie Sanders is a distant second at 17%. Next, Elizabeth Warren at 9%, Pete Buttigieg at 6%, and Kamala Harris at 5%. Support is up for Biden, Warren, and Buttigieg since March. Sanders and Harris lost ground. Currently, those are the top five candidates nationally. There were 22 announced major candidates when we started the survey. Two more jumped in since. The number one thing to Democratic voters is beating Donald Trump. 73% say that's extremely important. Right now, Biden looks to be in the best position to do that. He's up over Donald Trump by 11 points in a head-to-head matchup. That's a significant advantage. Sanders tops Trump by five and Warren edges him by two. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your Poll Paris. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Tuition or food? How the rising cost of college is actually forcing some students to make hard choices. And what, if anything, can be done about it? There's a troubling trend developing. A new study shows tens of thousands of college students cannot afford basic needs, even things like food and rent. It's much more prevalent than you might think. The strong U.S. economy is a complete myth to many American college students. Temple University just surveyed over 100 institutions nationwide. And get this, around half of the students who responded said recently they literally could not afford meals or housing. Almost 20% had been homeless in the last year. Wow. Um, They make it sound as if going to college is such a dire prospect. Right now in America, you can literally borrow any amount of money that you want because the federal government permits you to borrow money. They're in in charge of the student loans. And so you can borrow your room and your board, which means you're eating on campus. But it's kind of hard to figure out why people are saying they're full-time college students and they're not living on, on campus when you can borrow the money to do it. So if you're having trouble figuring out how you're going to eat, then you can still go to college and you can work a part-time job to make sure that you have food. If you're a freshman or a sophomore on a college campus in America today, room and board is mandatory to prevent these types of things from happening. So that tells me these stories are really more about making sure that we feel terrible about these horrible plights of people that they can't be touched by the Trump economy because they're in college. Well, guess what? You can be touched by the Trump economy in college because guess what you can do? You can drive Uber. You can do Instacart delivery service in your spare time. When you're not studying, you can, and so you don't have a vehicle, then you can sell stuff on eBay. 
don't have a vehicle. If you're if you're at the poverty line and you're in college, then that means you qualify for work study. These stories don't hold up. We're talking about lying here. We're talking about open lying, getting on, lying about what's happening to these college students instead of just admitting that some people, obviously going to college is expensive. It's a struggle. It can be very hard. But to say that people are starving to death while they're attending college full time, just don't, don't take it all at face value. They're not always telling the truth. So uh, anyway, don't forget to head over to Stacy on the right. Uh, also, Teespring, teespring.com. So you can buy a T-shirt. You can buy a Stacy on the right show mug. You can buy a iPhone or Samsung phone cover or a hoodie. There's other stuff up there, too. Just go to teespring.org. Um, I think I nicknamed it Stacy in the Warehouse. <laughs> I can't remember, but it's on there. You can check it out. It's also pinned to the top of the Facebook page if you want to click through from there and buy some merch. Um, the call lines are open. Let's go to the phones. If you want to call in, it's 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Tom in Arkansas, thank you for calling the show. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Just fine. Hey, uh, you know, I heard you a few, a few days ago talking about the uh, our uh, Second Amendment rights with taking an arm, you know, carrying a gun and what have you, and having this right. And, you know, back when Donald Trump first made the statement to declare a national emergency on our borders which was a month or two ago, right after that, I've seen twice, two different times, uh, Fox News, and Nancy Pelosi got on there and said, remember, Mr. President, there'll be a Democratic president in there someday, and when there is, we'll declare a national emergency on the American people's guns, and we'll, we will take them up. And I'm just kind of curious, how come we uh, don't hear more of that on the news? And if you could find this, blast this thing all over the radio. What, what she said about the national emergency for the Democrats? Yeah, she uh, said that well, they would declare a national emergency and confiscate yeah. the people's Yeah, she, she said that. So I have a couple things on that, um, Tom. And it's a great thing to point out that she said that, but she's not the only one who said it. Kamala Harris said, you know, we'll do a national emergency on, uh, she said, guns. And she also said, this is so funny, she said, that they would also do it on climate change. So they've all made these threats. Now, here's, here's the truth of the matter. Um, the president actually has control over immigration because that authority was ceded to him by Congress. Congress voted to give the executive the power over immigration. So executive orders on immigration are not just effective, but they are, they're, they're, not, they're not outside of the Constitution. Now, an executive order on the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment and its purview has not been given over for interpretation to um to to the executive so any any order executive order that had to do with gun confiscation would immediately be you know lawsuits would be brought probably the nra would bring the lawsuit and then that lawsuit would be ruled upon and appealed and it would go to the supreme court during that time most most judges most sheriffs and anywhere would put an injunction on gun confiscation. And here's the truth, Tom. Democrats own guns too. Democrats believe in the Second Amendment too. So you're talking about an issue that Congress can't ever get done because there are enough Democrats owning guns in America that Democrats get voted out of office if they're too far to the left on gun control. So they can talk about it all they want. They can make threats all they want, but they can't execute on it because... in uh, it's my friend over at National Review, Charles C.W. Cook, has written the best piece on it ever. And I'll, I'll dig it up and I'll post it on the Facebook page so you can take a look. In it, he describes what it really looks like to confiscate guns in America. First of all, you know, there's the 80-10-10 rule. You've got 80% of Americans who they need facts and information to make up their mind. You have 10% of Americans who they're a no no matter what you say. If you say, I'm going to give you some ice cream, they're like, nope, I don't want any of your ice cream. I don't know where your hands have been. I don't know if you if you got a clean ice cream shop. No. And then you have 10% of Americans who are pretty much like, yeah, yeehaw, let's do it. Whatever you say, let's let's try that new thing. Let's do it. So he says in his scenario, which is is supported by statistics, that you'd have 10% of the people who would turn in their guns immediately because they're a part of that. Okay, you too, you said I have to do it. I'll do it. 
you have 80% of the people who would try to decide based on information when they say I have to turn in my guns, what exactly do they mean? Now, the majority of gun owning Americans, the, the numbers are like 80-10-10 on regular issues. But when it comes to the gun issue, it's more like 5 80 you know, and then the rest. Now, and why, why, why is that that way? 5% of the gun owners would probably give up their guns. About 80% of the gun owners would say, if you want it, you'll have to come over here and get it. So first, the Democrats would have to launch a public information campaign, and they'd have to campaign for gun control and gun confiscation by taking this information on the road and going from state to state, city to city, county to county, door to door, trying to convince Americans that this is a good, viable issue. Then after that, if they were in control of the presidency and Congress and they went up against this thing and the Supreme Court failed to you know, codify gun rights, then they'd have to mobilize the National Guard and bring home troops from around the world to have those troops and National Guardsmen go door to door and actually take guns from Americans. Now, there's no operable number of how many troops who are on active duty and how many how many uh, guards members, you know, are, are reserve troops and all of that would actually participate in something like that. Or how many of them would say, for the first time in my life, I choose to to disobey an order given to me. And then there's, and of course, the police, the police forces would have to be, and it's the same thing. Police officers are the ones who, by and large, if you go to get a concealed carry class, the person who's teaching you is probably in law enforcement or former law enforcement, former military. So they're training Americans on how to safely own firearms and conceal them and carry them and defend themselves and others. And these are the same people you think are going to knock down doors and demand guns from law abiding citizens who've never broken the law. And then there's what happens when they start the actual confiscation. In our minds, we're, we're giving a lot of leeway to these Democrats. They've campaigned. They've gotten the American people on board enough so that they're not being voted out of office. They now go door to door with American troops. These American troops would literally sometimes be stationed in their own hometowns and neighborhoods or states where they came from, graduated from high school from, whatever, knocking on doors, demanding that people turn over their guns. And the last part of this problem that it really makes all of this so untenable is that we don't have a formal gun registry. So they know everyone who has a concealed carry permit. We have information on that. But they don't know when they come to your door how many guns you have. So we're not talking about knocking on the door and getting the guns at the door. We're talking about no-knock raids and knock raids. We're talking about SWAT team operations starting in the inner cities and radiating out to the suburbs. And the assumption is that no lawful gun owner would say at the door, get off my property, you can't have my guns, and then execute whatever they feel is necessary justice on the person trying to confiscate because of the castle doctrine. So the question is, do Democrats believe that Americans would shoot other Americans, kill them, confiscate guns, whatever, sit, take their children from them, put Americans in jail, arrest them at work? We're talking about this third world tin pot dictatorship, communist type regime where people are being hauled off in cattle cars to, you know, their deaths, presumably, or at least imprisonment over gun ownership rights. We're also talking about not just the lawful gun market, but the unlawful gun market. We know there are 400 to 600 million lawfully owned firearms. We don't know how many unlawfully owned firearms there are. So the idea that they talk this big smack filled game, they're just all about it on the you know CNN when they got a microphone in their face or when they have a camera pointed at them, they're all big and bad about it. But when People say Molon Lab, and I may be mispronouncing that. The, the, the issue here is not my, my Latin uh, proficiency. The issue is come and take them is the literal attitude of gun owners because in order to take guns, you need guns, tanks, armored vehicles, and people who are willing to take the guns, take them at the door take them in the backyard, take them in the grocery store, at the gas station, take them at the businesses, figure out how many there are and keep taking them in the face of resistance, armed, trained resistance. It doesn't happen unless 
they're able to completely change the American psyche. And Democrats aren't even working on that. They're too busy, worried about how many times I've said that there are only two genders so that they can shut down, you know, th this account or that account or, 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 you know, other people who have way bigger social media followings than myself shutting their algorithm, their, their stuff down by algorithm. That's what they're concerned with. I just don't see it happening. All right, let's go to the phones again. Awesome question. Daryl in South Carolina. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Yes, um, thank you for having me. Um, I, I've been listening for a little while. Anyway, I'm a Navy veteran. Uh, I agree with uh, you with what you said about the college students. Uh, they can work. I own a business. I just got my master's degree uh, mm -hmm. a few years ago at age 64. And nice. I'm, I have a 21-year-old who's getting ready to go to college. They can go to junior colleges. They can also go to technical colleges where they get refunds and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I also am able to employ young people that are in college uh, at uh with, with my cleaning business. So I, there's a lot I want to say, but I'm running out of time, so, <laughs> and so are you. But I really appreciate you. I'm a person with a permanent tan who's yes. very conservative, and there's a lot of us out here. So thank God for you, because uh, you just don't know how depressed I get. Sometimes I can't just talk to anybody about my views, but I'm getting bolder. Okay. Hey, thank you for that. <laughs> so, Daryl, be encouraged. Thank you for sharing that, and I know I know how it feels um, we actually had one of our kids talking about that. You never know who's a liberal or who's a conservative. And so you don't want to get out there and put yourself too far out and, you know, make enemies. But it is nice to hear like-minded views and to know that it's not about our permanent tan. The views that we hold, it's about the truth and it's about adhering to the Christian worldview. And, and so, and congratulations on, on going back to school and getting that advanced education. That is fantastic. Congrats on that. And for hiring college students, thank you for being a part of the economy that helps drive our GDP and, and helps us to be able to do all that we can do here in our country. Um, we have, we'll just take Dave in Ohio. Dave, you have about 40 seconds. What's your comment? Um, Stacey, I just want to say I want to let, I appreciate your um, radio program. I listen to you every day, and I agree 100% on the college situation. Um, yeah. I worked my, myself through college 40 hours a week. I have three kids that work themselves through college. They all have two lawyers and an engineer. Wow. And their goal was to graduate debt-free, and they did it because they worked. And I think too many parents do an in a disservice to their kids by not giving them a good work ethic as they're training mm -hmm. them to grow up. Amen. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that comment. And you are pithy. Good radio caller. <laughs> Thanks for calling and sharing that. I So... What he's saying, I want to echo it, and I want to say, if you, if you approach college, start talking to your kids about it. As soon as they get into high school, start talking to them about the cost of college. And when you visit colleges, make sure and take that information about here's how much the tuition is, right? Here's how much the room and board is. Now, here's how much we as your parents are going to contribute to your college education on a yearly basis, whether that's what you're working to pay outright or you've saved it or you've invested it, whatever it is, there's no shame in your game. You've raised the kids. Their education is a privilege. You contribute to it, but it's their responsibility too. And then you take your Excel spreadsheet and you put all those numbers in for every single college that you visited or every single college they're considering. And you say, now here's what you got to get. Scholarships, merit scholarships. Uh, you know, your part-time job. Here's the number we're contributing. Here's what you have to come up with on a yearly basis. And you can borrow that, although we believe in debt-free college. Start talking to your kids about that early and let them know what their options are. There's so many ways to get college paid for so you don't have to have student loans. That's America for you. And, of course, the provision of the Almighty. He'll get it done for you if you purpose it in your heart. You're leaving us now. God bless you from the heartland. One News Now, news and information coming up next, onenewsnow.com.